gospel versus false gospel. And this sermon series will last for a series of weeks, uh, maybe taking us into Easter. So, by then, Lord willing, we should all know what the true gospel is. And you're thinking, well, I think I do already. No. No. So much more. Because of the emphasis of why Paul chose to write this letter, he wrote it for them and also for us because there is a perennial temptation for us to not accept the grace of God as is presented to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so no, we will, we will look truly at what makes the gospel true and the false gospel which is deadly, truly false. I was thinking earlier, I've never uh, preached much on um, the topic of false teachers. Most of the letters actually in the New Testament deal with false teaching, heresy, um, uh, discernment. And I've had opportunities to speak to um, many throughout the church and prob- problems that arise in which there's usually a very lack uh, a very significant lack of discernment uh, to say, well, this church is similar to that church and that church is similar to this church and that belief over there is somewhat like this belief over here. And really, isn't it all just about Jesus? And why, why is there so much, uh, why, why should we be so rigid, so uh, maybe interpreted as sectarian? Well, we're here in Galatians, we'll look to say, it's hard to walk away from Paul's words without understanding that If we understand a false gospel, we have nothing. We have nothing at all. And so let me open this word up to you this morning. In the book of Galatians, only looking at Paul's introduction, in the first ten verses. Also, I have to say, I have been uh, sick. And praise God I was off last week. Because I was not going to be here last Sunday, no matter what. I was terrible. So I'm going to take a drink of water, and I'll try not to cough in a magnified device. For your benefit and not for my embarrassment, please. Okay. Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Now I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, not that there is one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, 
Let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This letter, Paul positions before Galatian church a definitive fork in the road that they must discern and decide if they will believe what he calls another gospel or that particular gospel that he received from Jesus Christ himself. Now the gospel particularly is news. It is a message. The gospel is a message. It is the spoken message of Jesus Christ, which is good. It's a good news. It's a good order. It's a good paper that lands on your front door that actually says there is a way that does not lead to the city of destruction. And Paul is here saying there is only one gospel that says that. Every word, every message, every piece of information that you have ever received in this life is vanity. It does not save you. It will end in your death. Everything you've learned in school, everything you've ever known, every letter you've ever received, it all burns up, ultimately never being good news. So to turn to another gospel, Paul says, is nothing more than to be accursed, to be separated. No love letter from a romantic acquaintance is a good news for you, for you will both die and go to hell. No great information or wisdom you can learn at the best university is nothing more than your damnation. For there's no news there. There's no information there that will not prevent you from simply dying accursed in hell. There is only one gospel. A particular piece of information, news that can come to you that is truly good. It is for your life. See, Galatia is a province in Asia Minor that is modern-day Turkey, which the dating of this letter most likely is A.D. 48. That is, right after Paul's first great missionary journey, in which he traveled through the Mediterranean Sea and came up into the southern part of the peninsula of modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And he traveled horizontally and stopped at a few cities like Lystra and Derby. Those cities were inside a province, a Roman province called Galatia. So Paul's not particularly writing to one church or particular problem with one unique thing that one church is wrestling with. He's writing actually to a series of churches that he most likely, <coughs> as scholars best date this book, <coughs> there we go, I'm told you, that they just met Paul. That within this past year or so, he had preached the gospel to them and laid the foundation for these churches that on his way back, some say he is writing this letter in Corinth, Corinthians, that on his way back, he's leaving a trail of letters saying, I heard that you've already fallen into a false gospel. 
Later in chapter 2, he says, I have a fear that I have ran or should run or had run in vain. That is, I risked my life on this mission trip. I was threatened to be stoned and beaten. I inconvenienced myself, impoverished myself. All to lay out the gospel, the foundation for these churches. And now, in the matter of less than a year, I feel that I wasted my whole missionary journey. That whole year plus that I was doing this was for nothing. If you believe this false gospel, it's pure vanity, he says. That's the emphasis of why this letter is going out. That he thinks that he is in danger of wasting everything he did with them. See, it reminds me of a story, a news report I heard of a woman in Connecticut who put all her money and worked for many years to pay down the principal and interest upon her mortgage. But the problem with this land in New England is that it is uh, set with a particular chemical that reacts to the concrete in the houses there. And so the concrete foundation fractures and splinters. It happens through all these houses that on the outside they look absolutely beautiful. But here, the news report issues that the insurance company will not cover the damages. And so the thousands and thousands of dollars of her life savings that she put down in equity in this home is gone in the matter of a few days when she goes down to her basement, finds out there's all these cracks, and finds out it is because of a mixing of a natural chemical with the concrete in her foundation that it's gone. She has no money. She has no home. She could actually spend more money having to demolish the home than selling it. Vanity. See, that's, that's the principle of what Paul is dealing with here in Galatians. That he has traveled throughout Planted these little houses, these little house churches, all through Galatia. Finding nothing more than within the course of a year, that gospel had been mixed with false lies made by human wisdom of men. And his conclusion is, if that is the case, if you entertain this lie, everything is gone. There is no church. There is no foundation. There is no gospel. And you are all cursed. That is far different from our perspective of how we interpret the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this is the letter to the Galatians. It's an open letter. Paul says it this way. It is for this reason he opens by saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. First line. This is not my gospel. I am not a philosopher. I did not make this up. I am not here to impress you. I am not here to show you how wise I am. And I figured out the secret to life. This gospel is revealed by the eternal God. It must not be tampered with. You must not touch it with your hands. You must not put any of your human wisdom or conventional ideas upon it. First line. This is not my gospel. 
I have received this from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He ends his introduction by saying nothing more than the same. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. He has given his life to this mission. He has sacrificed life and limb and will die because of this. He did not travel the world to influence people. He didn't travel the world to preach some idea he had. He was a slave of Christ, given only the gospel of Christ, the eternal wisdom of salvation, which is the only good news in this whole world. There is no piece of information that you can have that does not end with you in hell, except this gospel. And it must never be defiled or twisted. For if it is, it is lost. And if it is lost, you are lost. And you are cursed in your sin. So his warning is dire. He therefore then transitions to say this. I am, remember, within the course of only a year of him planting these churches. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Who called you by the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Astonished. So quickly, you've been given the words of life. And in the matter of a few months, you've turned. You've turned to something else. You have abandoned him. The connection is deserting him for a different gospel. And what was that? Nothing more than the grace of Christ. That's the point for Paul the rest of the way through the letter. Is grace. If it is mixed... If it is tampered with, if the grace of God is altered by the ways of the wise man, worldly wisdom, the man who knows better, is gone. It's like concrete mixed with chemical. Cracks, falters, your life cannot be supported by anything but the pure, undefiled grace of God. The notice here, particularly, is that it is the grace of Christ. So what exactly is this false gospel? As we see through the sermon series, we will get in to the details of why there is a problem in these Galatian churches. The false gospel is what Paul calls <coughs> coming from these troublers, he calls them. Some people speak of them as Judaizers. Those are a subset of self-proclaimed teachers to the church. The church does not need self-proclaimed teachers. The church needs teachers that are raised up and called and ordained. Self-made teachers are almost always heretics. Because they appoint themselves, they're arrogant and proud, and that leads them to making all sorts of stupid doctrines. These self-made teachers are interjecting themselves into the church, and they are <coughs> turning the gospel upside down. It's nothing more than mixing faith with works. That is Paul's concern for them. That the gospel should be received by faith. They are taking faith and mixing it with some type of works. The phrase Paul uses throughout the letter is works of the law. Works 
of the law. He uses works of the law over and over because in some way we're discerning from their teaching that this false gospel is troublers, Judaizers, coming into the church to add works of the law inside this gospel so that uh, the circumstances that come up are circumcision, uh, table fellowship. One phrase is acting like a Jew, just acting like a Jew, doing all the Jewish things that Jewish people do, wanting to merge the lines between what Christ has done in the church to performing certain types of rituals and uh, instructions that are given through the Old Testament so that you might be able to, in some way, present yourself clean, pure, religious, um, undefiled, a uh, faithful churchgoer, uh, somebody who is inside the covenant, someone who had boast in the flesh, Paul says. All this is adding to the gospel. And you would think, by conventional wisdom, let's just keep adding. The gospel is great. Let's just add some more to it, make it even better. No. There's a chemical reaction here. You add to that gospel, it's gone. This is the one way you can truly get subtraction by addition. You add to it, you've lost it. It's gone. This true gospel is opposed to what Paul says. He defines it, and this is the center that's so beautiful. The center of the whole message, the center of this whole intro is the benediction, the, the blessing that, that Paul issues to the church. He says it this way. Now this is the real gospel. I, please, I have meditated on this verse throughout the week. And I wish, and this is the frustrating thing for me. I wish, I never feel like I, satisfy, I satisfactorily do it. I wish I could convey the grace of what these words say. And I can't because God has to do it to you. But he does use the word. So I'm going to read this benediction to you. And I ask you in your heart. Don't receive it just as a word. I'm going to end the sermon with this benediction. And it is tied to the resurrected Christ. It is not, I'm not casting a spell on you. I am not just giving you some type of hallmark card at the end of the sermon. I'm speaking words that are tied to the content of the incarnate God. Who can give the substance of this blessing to your soul. And I know you need it. Because I know I need it. Now hear this true gospel as if you've never heard it before. Grace to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Christ who gave himself for our sins and delivered us from this present evil age. It is an evil age. According to the will, if I get to the end of the sermon, you're going to like that verse. According to the will of our God. According to the will of our God. To whom be glory forever and ever. That's the true gospel. We must never alter that. Grace and peace. The order is important. You cannot have peace without grace. If you look for peace before grace, you are trying to earn peace. And you cannot because you are wicked and defiled. You must receive grace 
And when you have grace, then you have peace. And why? Because he gave himself for our sins. That is it. To deliver us from this present evil age. See, there's two aspects to this gospel now. I will cut them in half. We'll put one over here and we'll put one over here. The second one is really what occupies the whole letter of Galatians. The first part of the gospel is the content of the gospel. That is, Jesus Christ himself. Right? That's the content. The power. The reason the gospel saves is not because it's a magical incantation of a series of words said in a certain language of certain syllables. It is a spoken word of truth that is connected to the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's what saves. That is, his whole life is the power. His whole life that was given for you, he lived for you, perfect through righteousness and holiness in every aspect of his life, died in and under the curse, and rose in resurrected power and glory, and he stands there in that power. Therefore, there is good news. That's the content. That's the power. Of the gospel. The second part is different but equally important. It's not the content but the connection. So there's Jesus. We understand him to be his glorious self, who he is. But how can he be mine? How can I be his? The connection is just as important as the content. How may I be connected to him? In the second chapter, we find out that's the whole reason Paul wrote the letter. He says this, their tampering with the gospel was altering the connection line between us and Jesus. See, a person is not justified, Paul says in, Second Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, in Galatians 2.16. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. See the connection language? A person is not justified through. How do I get to him? How do I connect to that glorious, gracious life that is offered to me in Christ? How do I connect to that truth? Through works of the law? Or through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to mess up Jesus or the content of the gospel. That's the deception. Oh, aren't all these churches just the same? Don't we all just kind of like Jesus? That that church has a cross and that church has a cross. And you know, Muslims, they talk about Jesus. And there's this Jesus... Even you get down to perfectly understood orthodoxy of who Jesus is... That's good. But if you cannot properly connect to that great grace in Jesus Christ, it's as if you have nothing at all anyway. You see, it, it, it's very intuitive. It makes very simple sense. Over a year ago now, you'll remember the famous frigid Christmas of 2022. You know the Christmas where we didn't have a Christmas service? The reason we didn't is because 
all the pipes in the building broke because it was so cold. <coughs> Later in the fall, the soffit was fixed. It was perforated as it should have been. All the cold air went in through the outside of the house, or the church rather. But the church has never been properly insulated. So it literally, just all that cold air went up into the front. And the utility room doesn't have a, a ceiling on it, a drop ceiling. And of course, cold air always goes to the lowest point. So when I walked back in the utility room, it was like 10 degrees colder in there than it was outside with the wind. It was remarkably cold. And that's where all the pipes were. And so all the pipes burst and broke, right? But we, as a New Life Presbyterian Church, always had a good relationship and understanding with our water supplier. We pay our bills. They can send their stuff. It's, it's, it's not as though the water company shot down. We just had a bad connection. And it was as if it didn't matter. It was as if there could be a water company out there with a reservoir refining our water, bringing it to us, or not. Because the end result is the same, you see. We don't have water. But as you see the gospel there, do you see what Paul is so concerned about? Jesus, 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 Jesus. I understand who Jesus is, yes. But how are you connected to him? Because if you are connected to him on faulty lines, Paul is saying, you do not have him. The pipes have burst. There is no water. There is no grace. There is no life in your life. You are cursed. The content and the connection are so equally important. So the deadly danger of this all, you see in how Paul lays it out, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by grace in Christ. What does he say next? By turning to a different gospel. Say, I didn't desert Jesus Christ. I didn't separate from Jesus Christ. I'm just understanding the gospel a little differently. Paul's mind, that is turning from Christ. If you turn to a different gospel, you are disconnected. You are deserted from the life of the grace of the union of theology, which is the incarnate man-God, who is your only hope. If you turn to a different gospel, you are disconnected. If you are disconnected... He says later, it's as if Christ died for no purpose. In chapter 2, if you seek to be justified by works of the law, then Christ died for nothing. My preaching was for nothing. This whole thing is for nothing. Of course, this is the only thing, the primary thing, that separates Christianity based on the true gospel from every other philosophy and world religion in the world. Because every other one is made by the wisdom of men. I have a process underway right now to update um, the uh, electrical box in my house, which is a small one that only has about 100 amps. And I'm going to update it to 200 amps. And when I say I'm going to update it, that means I'm not going to update it. For the reason is, for two, two primary reasons. I like my life, and I don't want to burn my house down. Right? It's, just, it's literally that simple. I'm a very practical person. I don't know what I'm doing. But I know enough to know 
That's the thing. I know enough to know that I don't know. If you don't know enough to know that you don't know, you're an idiot. And that's the problem with Galatians. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know. They are, they are rewiring the church, and it will burn, and they with it. You see, the connection is just as important. See, people were saying, why, why Paul, are you so um, rigid, so sectarian, so exacting, so detailed? Isn't it just, just, just trust in Jesus? Yes, but what does that mean, you see? You don't apply that kind of logic to wiring your house. You don't say, oh, it's just, you know, there's a third uh, gauge wire and a 12th gauge wire and this amp and this volt. And, you know, it's really just all wires and electricity. I mean, why do you ought to be so detailed? Because if you rewire it wrong, if you disconnect or reconnect from the gospel in your own ways as you see fit, you've done nothing but burn your life down. That's the emphasis behind the letter. But see, it's simple and complicated at the same time. Right now, children are in this children's praise section. And they're going through the orders of worship, call to worship, prayer, teaching them to really pray and be part of a worship setting so when they get just a little bit older, they can come in here. But what also is happening there is the gospel was being given to them at an almost intimate and very personal level and at a very extremely simple level, like super simple so that they can get it. Because I even have the videos going through the catechism, which are actually pretty complicated for that age group even. And then there's teachers within that that are taking that video that I try to truncate down, which is very challenging. Colin's laughing at me right now, and I know why. Because it is. And he's like, yeah, right, those videos are like, I'm trying, but the teachers are even bring, they're bring, bringing a bite-sized piece and bring it down to their little hearts. So even right now at this moment, a small child could be understanding Jesus for the first time in a more clear way that they're, all they're doing is tr trusting Jesus right now. And they don't know barely anything, and that's okay. See, you don't have to know all the wiring in your home to have the lights on. You see, a small child can flip a switch in the living room and never make his or her way down to the electric panel. There's a simple, beautiful faith in the gospel. Because it is of grace, trust in Christ and you will be saved. But, and here's Paul's warning to us today, if you want to get down there and pull back the panel and start tinkering with the gospel and start splicing a few wires, now, now you must die. You touch it, you think you have the wisdom, even of men and angels, you will die. This gospel has been wired by the wisdom of God. Eternal God, incarnate man, this is a mystery beyond our ability. So much so that Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let 
him be accursed. As we've said before, and so now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Do you understand the authority of this gospel is superior to the authority of the apostle Paul who wrote the letter and preached the gospel or any celestial being, spiritual experience, angelic vision? This gospel is higher. It is more normative. It is more authoritative. It is the message of salvation which interprets all other realities. That Paul would even say, if I come back and preach to you a different gospel, I am cursed. Do not listen to me. This is the schismatic. This is the way of life. This is the only way the lights will turn on in your soul. We must never touch God's design as he has given it to us in the gospel. When he says he is astonished, it becomes much more practical for us. Because you know, and I know, personally in our lives, the reality that almost every day, your soul is drawn to trusting in something else. Your identity at work, your relationship with your family and friends, all the money you have, all the temptations you can have, all the, um, the lusts of the flesh, the pride of life, they don't stop. They constantly press in upon you. So that you would be in some way moved to say, yes, I will have Jesus. I will have Jesus. And I will have some other things. And that's the temptation. You cannot have anything but him. You must only trust in him. See, the very real temptation where Paul says particularly, I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting. It comes down to this final temptation, I think, for us as we close is this. It's been my personal experience, and many of those who I have had the privilege of counseling, I can think of a few vividly in my mind. There's a dilemma. I know. God is powerful and able to be good to me and bless me and my family. That's a different question than saying, but is he willing? Remember, this is God's redemption of us from what Paul calls the present evil age. Many of you have been pressed by vexing thoughts, conscience, trials, death, loss, in which the idea is simple, trust in Christ alone. Yes, but when I am broken and hurt, when I don't feel so particularly covered and loved by God, the temptation comes, how can I get rid of this pain? How can I add something to my life? How can I fix myself? I am riddled with a conscience that even in the quiet hours, perhaps, your thoughts are as though a spirit is 
pricking and prodding your soul, that you have no peace. You have this benediction of grace and peace and you hear the words, but you don't know the experience of it in your life and you're looking for something to clothe yourself like Adam in the garden, to cover your nakedness, a self-made garment perhaps, to make your own righteousness, in which you think, I know he could cover me, but I don't know if he will cover me, and so therefore I have to do something. And I know the gospel is all of grace, but I definitely need to overeat. I definitely need to find that relationship. I definitely need to go to that website. And the reality is, it's nothing more than looking for comfort, for righteousness, for clothing that is not Christ. And the seeds of it all come from, yes, theologically I know he is able. But I'm not convinced in the circumstances of my life, perhaps if he's willing to be gracious to me. I've done too much. I can't even forgive myself. I'm going to read that benediction again. You need to hear that this gospel is a standing invitation of not only God's power to you, but his will for you. Grace to you And peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to his will, the will of our God and Father. Do you realize what Paul just said? A general letter to a series of churches through a large region in Galatia using the language Our God and Father gave himself up for our sins. He doesn't know who's reading this letter. He doesn't know if there's later in the next chapter or so, he'll say there are false brethren within the church. He doesn't know who's true, who's not, who's blessed, who isn't, who has God's gracious will for them, and who is just getting by. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. Because the essential part of the gospel is not only an expressed power of God, To give his life for us, for our sins. But it is always and forever a standing invitation of God's declaration of his will for your life. That he always wills your good. That every aspect of your life, no matter what you see or do, is his willingness to bless you. Because it is all wrapped up according to the will of our God and Father. That is, there is no temptation ever. To turn to something. You may never, you see, be, be so riddled or, or, or bound by this fallacious lie in your mind again. Oh, I know God. I know God is powerful. But is he willing to bless me? Is he willing to give me all this righteousness and cleanliness? The answer is always yes. Indiscriminately. A general letter given to any because it is a standing invitation. If you will Believe, you will receive. He has worded and positioned the gospel in such a way that it is always true at every time that if anyone responds to this message by grace, in simple faith, they are connected. For if they believe, they receive that. It is always God's will. Therefore, If you ever feel tempted to find solace and comfort in anything that is not Christ, you must know, 
you have heard a lie. For it is always his will to give you perfect righteousness at every time you call upon him. Dear Father God, I ask, Lord, that as we enter into this deep letter, that you would unfold your grace upon this church, upon me. Lord, we ask that you would give us discernment. We ask that we would take joy in this true gospel. We ask, Lord, that you would, for those here and in the weeks ahead, that are still building their life on self-righteousness, building their life on their own abilities, and have a proud and unforgiving heart. Lord, I pray that you would melt this away, that truly from you, Lord, may come grace and peace. In Jesus' name, <laughs> amen. Would you please stand as we...